turn with me to Genesis 21. Genesis chapter 21. And if you don't happen to have a Bible with you this morning, just go ahead and raise your hand and we'll bring you one so you, so you have one. Genesis chapter 21, verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Father, as we turn our attention to your word this morning... God, I pray that you would supernaturally, powerfully use your word through a redeemed servant to bring blessing and encouragement and refreshment to your people, Lord. That, Father, the stability and the ability to stay faithful to the truth God, that that would be freshly encouraged and strengthened in your people today because of what we hear from this word. That ultimately, Lord God, you would be honored, you would be rightly seen for who you are and for what you've done and for what you are doing and will do, and that the people of God have a better grasp of the God they love and serve. So, Father, I'm, I'm pleading with you to please, in spite of all my weaknesses, I pray that I could be of use today, that you'd bless your people through the word. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Um, you've heard me say over the weeks, and it's, it's a true statement, I'm, I'm a very impatient individual. I don't sit still well. I don't like doing that. It doesn't go well for me. Let me give you a case in point. This week, I had to get an oil change in the car, and so I hate sitting at the shop and waiting for my car to get the oil changed, right? Because, you know, I could sit there and read the magazines that 300 people have already touched, or um, I could go out and about. So my lovely wife came and picked me up, and we went out on a date, whatever you want to call it. And so we went out, and first we went to the grocery store, and we were going to get a cup of coffee at the grocery store, and I went up there, and I thought, no, let's go to another place. And we went to the other place. So we went to that place, and there was two cars, two cars in front of me, and I thought, I'm not waiting for two cars. So then I took off. <coughs> we went to the next place, three, car, three cars, and each place we went, and eventually we stopped at this little drive through place to get a cup of coffee and waited there for, I think it was close to an eternity, and then finally got our coffee, and as we drove off, 
I could tell my wife was wondering what she did when she married me. And we were both enjoying the coffee. And surprise, surprise, the coffee was delicious. It was fantastic. But that struck in my heart. And it's always amazing when the Lord, in a certain way, you never see it coming, and he rebukes you. You're an impatient man. Well, I have been thinking about this concept of patience and endurance and waiting upon the Lord a lot because of where we're at in the text. We've been going through year after year. Now, I know it's just on, in the ink, in the chapter, as we walk through it, as we study this together. But for Abraham, it's year after year after year. God's faithful to his word. God's faithful to his word. God's faithful to his word. But I'm tired of waiting. And so I don't want to wait any longer. And so we've seen some moves made by Abraham that show his impatience and his lack of trust in God to fulfill and satisfy his promise. And yet, simultaneously, while that's happening, God in his grace has been widening the lens for Abraham to grasp God's game plan. Remember, in chapter 12, he comes to him and says, follow me out of this place, and I'll show you a land that I'm going to give you, and I'm going to make a great nation from you, so on and so forth. And Abraham gets up and walks in obedience by grace and follows the Lord. And at that point, all he's told is, I'll show you where the land is. And I'll make a nation out of you someday. But nothing, nothing really proof is given to him except God's word is, I will do this. And so Abraham walks based on the promise of God and continually is doing that. But as he's doing that, the Lord does graciously widen the lens and allow Abraham to see a little bit clearer. Okay, so this is God's plan. Okay, so this is God's plan. Okay, so this is God's plan. And as he, this continues, we actually see his impatience shrink, and we see his faith grow. See, that's what's so interesting, is that if you just read it, you go, wow, this Abraham's an interesting guy, and you read it so close to, it, to each other. But if you think about year after year, and God's grace, and more of his grace in the life of Abraham, you start to see a transition in the man, which culminates profoundly in chapter 22. So this concept of the promise of God with no proof has been what's on my mind, saying, so wait a minute, we're supposed to be patiently waiting on the promise of God. That's what Abraham's doing. Patiently waiting on the promise of God. And so today we see the birth of this child. And we see God's promise not fully, but in a big way, we see God's promise fulfilled in front of his very eyes. But he's a hundred. And all that time, you want to ask the question, was all the time of waiting wasted? Or was God doing something marvelous in the waiting as well? So if you would look down with me, chapter 21, verse 1, it says, the Lord visited Sarah, and I love this, as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. God's timing, not Sarah's timing, not Abraham's timing. 
I realize this, and I, I want to own it, that in my heart, it's, it's quick to say, can we get on with it? Can we move? Can we, can we do stuff? I know that you've promised, but I'm tired of waiting. I have no doubt that at some points, numerous points, Abraham and Sarah were wondering, so God, will you be true to this? And how will you be true to this? The Lord visits Sarah. I love that concept of visits because it's, more, it's, it's not like the Lord is not omnipresent. It's not like the Lord doesn't know where Sarah is. It's not like the Lord hasn't been there this entire time. But there's something particular that's saying he's coming to her in power. This is God coming into the life of this woman and of this man in a powerful way. Not visits in the sense of he's been gone, but visits in the sense that he comes now to fulfill his promise to her and to Abraham. The Lord has visited Sarah. God is sovereign over his time frame. Now, you hear that, and I'm sure theologically, I would hope theologically, that doesn't land badly on you. I hope it lands on you in a good way. God is sovereign over God's timeline. God is not waiting in heaven, wringing his hands, waiting for us to do something so that way he can finally act. Our Lord is in control, accomplishing his good purpose, moving towards his good end, working all things together for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God is in sovereign control. I think one of the greatest arguments for that theological point is to look at the the Christological um, prophecies that are all fulfilled in Christ at the proper time. So much so that the Apostle Paul makes reference with the phrase, in the fullness of time. Well, who set that? Who set that date? That it would be in that second, Jesus would say, it is finished. That was designed and put in place by the Father. God is in sovereign control. The world hates that. Some Christians hate that. Because we think we would do a better job if we were in control. Let me just let you know, you wouldn't. We wouldn't. Let me give you just a quick Bible um, proof of that. Each time I've seen Abraham try to help God in God's time frame, he has walked in sin. When Abraham has said, I'll help God move this along a little bit quicker with Hagar. Yeah, that worked out well, didn't it? No, 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 no. The issue is, Abraham, trust me. Trust me. Trust me. I'm not dependent on you, Abraham. You're dependent on me. And so, if you notice in the passage, there's so much. This is what's so interesting, is there's so little ink, and yet so much is being said there when it says, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. God said he'd do it, and I realize all these years just passed, all the events just passed, all of the fear, all of the trials, all the questioning, has all that passed, and yet the Lord is utterly faithful to what he said he'd do when he visits Sarah. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. If there's something to underline or a phrase I would encourage you just to put to memory, really, really simple, this week just rehearse back to yourself, as he had promised. 
Over and over and over again. No, 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 no. As he had promised. Nobody stopped him. Nobody can stop him. And he will accomplish what he promised. Period. And Sarah and Abraham get to see this right before their very eyes as they hold this newborn little guy. God is utterly faithful to his word. Even in Abraham's unfaithfulness, God's faithfulness swallowed him up and carried him along. As Sarah said, why don't you take Hagar and make this a little bit easier so that child will be the child of promise and we'll move things along and make easier for God. And then there's Hagar and Ishmael. And the Lord says, nope, it's going to be through Sarah. It's going to be through your wife. God has miraculously enabled this pregnancy for Sarah. A son is born to Abraham by sovereign grace. God, in his grace, now I say sovereign grace, I use that term a lot, you guys know that. The reason, when I, I like sovereign grace more than just grace because the grace is given by God's sovereignty. He chooses to give the grace. If he owed it to you, it's not grace. If you said, God, you owe me grace, that, that doesn't make any sense. God owes no one grace. If he did, it would not be grace, it'd be a debt. And so he chooses to let his grace be given to fallen man. That's an unbelievable reality at the very heart of the gospel is God chooses to allow his grace to be given to fallen man. And so in the unfaithfulness of Abraham, God still carries him forward. And it's interesting to me that the Lord is utterly faithful to his promise with so many, if you think about it, so many variables that are kept in place in order for God to accomplish his promise. Think about how many variables can, could potentially throw off the promise. When you hear about, I forget the name of the, of the race car driver, but a, a cotter pin broke and eventually led to a terrible crash. You go, a cotter pin? How small are these variables? I've, I've driven up on car crashes where if I, was, if I was there half of a minute, maybe a minute earlier, I would have been involved in that car crash. How many variables are involved with the second-by-second -second life of Abraham and Sarah that they both stay alive till he's 100 years old? See, you, get, you have to think further. If we just go, oh, God's faithful to his promise, and we leave it so generalized, beloved, we miss the detail of God's sovereignty. Or better yet, his sovereignty in the details. The very fact that this man and this woman are breathing shows the sovereign care of God. And so a son is born just like God said he would do. And Sarah conceived, verse 2, and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. They're on God's time frame, not their time frame. When they say, I don't like God's time frame, I want my time frame, that's where the wheels fall off and things get pretty ridiculous 
when we start saying, I don't trust God. I trust me more than I trust God on this one. By the way, side note, that's where worry comes from most of the time, is I don't really trust him, and I trust me better. Just give me an hour of worry, and I'll make things better. Beloved, it, it, it feels like a weight, like a backpack, really heavy backpack. If, if I contemplate the concept of what would Dan Mason's life look like if I really trusted God in everything, fully trusted it, I'd have a head full of hair, no stress, and I could relax knowing that my king is in sovereign control. I believe that with all my heart. I just struggle sometimes really walking in practice of it. And so God in his faith says, here's the baby. I told you I was going to do this, and here's the baby. Abraham called, his name, called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac, just as God had directed him. Now, I think it's interesting. Don't, don't miss the emphasis here, guys, because it, it's important. Notice how he, 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 this is written. Abraham called the name of his son, notice his son, who was born to him, notice born, not one of his servants, but born to him as his biological son, whom Sarah bore him, notice not Hagar, not some other woman, not some younger woman. No, no, no. His wife, it is your son, born to you, the seed of Abraham, through your wife, Sarah, whom Sarah born him, Isaac. God is, is, he never wastes ink. And again, there's emphasis here in the text where he's saying, Abraham, Abraham, remember this. Everything I said has come true. Everything I've said has come true. I told you it would be you. I told you it would be your son. I told you a nation's going to come from you. I said it was going to be Sarah. All of this has come to fruition. And now here you sit, a hundred years old, with a brand new baby boy from you and from your wife. That's That's a phenomenal thing that has taken place here in the life of this man. I'm sure there's joy. But I can't help but wonder if there's some regret in his heart of, I should have just waited. Hagar was never the intended individual for this. I knew that God could protect me from Abimelech. God could protect me from Pharaoh. God had all the variables in play. He had a design here for it to be me, Sarah, and this promised child. So I want to look with you guys for really quick, just to kind of refresh your mind, since we haven't been in Genesis for a little while, now we're kind of getting back into the study, and remind you of this long road to Isaac. So I'm just going through this fast, but track with me if you would. Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, and I'm just going to read a few portions of scripture, again, just to kind of refresh our memory to God's activity in the life of Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house 
to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. What a phrase to hear from the living God. Fear not. Fear not, Abraham or Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have, given, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And I'm not going to read the chapter, but chapter 16, this whole event where Sarah brings Hagar to Abram and says, Have a child with this man and this will be the child of promise. A dark moment in this path. Now move to chapter 17, verse 15. Chapter 17, verse 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. I love this, what his response here. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who's a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God, I've got another plan. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him, an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Beloved, it is awesome to see God, in his grace, communicate with this man and this woman and see that scope just keep widening a little bit and a little bit and a little bit where he's saying, I'm giving you a further understanding. Follow me, I'll give you the land. And after you get there, I'll give you, nations will come after you and every family of the earth will be blessed through you. Okay, I'll come. And the Lord just continually allows Abraham to see greater and greater um, portions of his plan. God's covenant promise to Abraham could never be thwarted because God made this covenant. Let me show you. Um, chapter 15, verse 12. And maybe you forgot about this because it's 
a little strange uh, to us. But remember when he cut up the pieces of the animals and he made two lines of those animals and this was a practice at the time to make a covenant with another individual. And the text tells us Abraham was put under a deep sleep and then in this interesting figurative way, not figurative, but in this interesting way, this smoking pot, this goes through and that's supposed to be telling and communicating God going through the line of the animals. Now, I know that's awkward and a little bit strange to us in our culture. PETA would not like this. But the reality is, that was how you were doing a covenant at that time culturally. So look at verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Guys, I love what he says there. Know for certain. How can he say that if he's not sovereign? Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the, the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites and the Herlemites. So they're in the text... South County. <laughs> Did you notice in the passage that it was God who went through, not Abram? God made a covenant with this man, and God will fully keep this covenant with this man. The child in the arms of these two older people was a beaming reminder of God's grace and faithfulness. God was not in need of their help to speed up the process. Now, the Lord had a divine plan and was at work accomplishing that glorious task. Now, let me show you the obedience that is done here in chapter 21. Stick with me. Um, we're going to pick it up. Verse 4 to show that exactly as the Lord had called on, on um, Abraham to do, that this child would be named Isaac, this child would be circumcised on the eighth day. Look what Abraham does, verse 4. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Notice the detail in God's promise. His son, who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him. Please notice the emphasis here on, on what's being done. This is 
totally according to the promise of God. Isaac, his name basically means laughter. And it's funny to kind of track it down and watch how many times you see laughter in the whole storyline of Isaac. As God tells Abraham, and Abraham falls on his face, not in, not in doubt, but in amazement at the promise of God that God is going to do this? An old guy like me, he's, he's promised family through me? And then he goes, and after they tell Sarah, Sarah in doubt, laughs. Remember, and she denies it, and she says, I didn't laugh. No, you did laugh. You did. Now, from my standpoint, I can't blame the woman, because that's wild. But the Lord wasn't interested in their laughter. He was interested in their faith in his promise. And then he says, by the way, I want you to name your kid Laughter. And now here in the text, we see once again, she says, everybody's going to be laughing over me, not at me, but she'll be laughing over what's taken place. The fact that here I am, this older woman with this man who's 100 years old with a promised child in her arms. God does what he wants when he wants. And he calls you to submit to it and be glad to. There's great joy, great joy in walking in obedience to the promises of God and a path that leads to destruction and eternal hell to throw off his call of obedience. In obedience to God's words, Abraham circumcised Isaac on the eighth day of his life, just as you'll see if you're jotting down notes, chapter 17, where this was commanded from the Lord to do to Isaac. And if you notice a mother's joy, look at a mother's joy in verse 6. Sarah said, God's made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham Abraham, that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have bore him a son in his old age. Finally, Sarah has a child to call her own. Notice she points to God and God alone. I love that fact, beloved. If you notice in the text, nowhere does Sarah say, I'm glad that we did this. No, she gives full right, full glory, full credit. This is all of God's doing. It's totally his doing. How do you know? Because we tried to do it with our doing and we blew it. But God in his grace has shown this is all his doing. He promised it and he's satisfied his own promise before our very eyes. And you go, well, how's he satisfied? Look at this kid. Look at this baby. He's a miracle baby given to us from the Lord. And there's a promise in this child far greater than perhaps even they knew at that moment. And so little laughter, little Isaac, is there in their lap. No man would have ever said that this is going to happen because this goes against nature. This goes against what makes all the sense in the world. This is what is logical to a fallen world. This is illogical to a fallen world. And they've walked in obedience to the promise of God, even at times when it looked totally against the logic of fallen man. Have you seen a trend, guys? As we've been been walking through Genesis, have you seen a trend with people who do walk in faithfulness to God that typically their culture can't believe what they're doing? Noah, what are you doing with that boat? This is ridiculous. And yet he walks in obedience. 
here with Abraham. No, I'm going to leave my friends and my family. I'm leaving everybody to go to a land. What land? I don't know. Well, who's going to show you? God's going to show me. God's going to show you. Yep, he's going to show me. Not only that, but I'm going to be a dad. Really? Yeah, great nations are going to come for me. Every family of the earth is going to be blessed by me. Uh, is there going to be a woman involved here? Yes, yeah, Sarah, my wife. But you're both really, really old. Yeah, I know, but I don't care because God promised it, and I'm going to keep moving on that. I trust his word more than I trust fallen man's logic. You can slander all you want, but that's the truth. And God will justify it. God will show himself faithful. God will show what's true and what's not true. The world can mock, laugh, and slander all day long, but it's still the holy written word of God that declares this is the truth. And so this joy of this mom, God's grace is so magnificent as he leads his people with gentle hands. Didn't just crash and burn this couple, but kindly, gently led them through this whole endeavor. So now, let me transition for a second, shift gears on you. What's that have to do with you? What's that have to do with me? 2021, here in Tillamook County. How does that affect us? So what does this mean for Pacific Coast Bible Church? Number one, just to remind all of us, Abraham's God's our God. He didn't go anywhere. He didn't change. He is our God. It's always funny when people say, you know, I don't like the Old Testament God. I like the New Testament God. Newsflash, same God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never has changed. God does not change, the Scripture says. And so the same God that you and I love and serve is the same God Abraham and Sarah loved and served. So that has to be the foundational point, okay? So let's put the, the, the cornerstone down there. There's a foundational point. Now let's build from there. Back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we're told that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. What woman? Well, from our best vantage point, it's speaking about Eve. Well, was the seed of the woman Cain? Apparently not. Was it Abel? No. And we keep going down the line. So who is it? I don't know. But someday, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Who's the serpent? Satan. We see that from the very text in chapter 3. Then we come, he comes to Abraham and he says, the seed of Abraham will bless all the families of the earth. So now we've got the seed of Eve. Now we've got the seed of Abraham. Interesting. Almost like there's a line moving through history towards something fantastic. What is the something fantastic? Is it Isaac? No. Isaac is a foretelling of the someone fantastic that's bound to come. So, picture this with me, guys. See if you can track with me on this. As Abraham and, and, and Sarah hold that little baby and look at that baby in the face, that baby is a foretelling of the promise of God to give another baby. Guess who I'm talking about? The Lord Jesus Christ, who will come through the line of this man, who came through the line of the seed of the woman. You see where I'm going here? So as we track through our scriptures, we're seeing this is moving towards something big. What, the birth of Isaac? No, 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 way bigger than that. Way bigger than that. 
We're moving towards the Redeemer. Our God is a promise-keeping God. And just as He promised that the seed of Abraham would be coming, and just as we saw in Genesis chapter 3, the seed of Eve would be coming, we saw the Son of Man come. And there in the manger, there with Joseph and Mary, in a quiet, out of just nowhere place, the Son of the living God, a miracle baby, was born. The promised Messiah. Now, I talked about the variables that led up to the birth of Isaac. Think about the variables that led up to the birth of Jesus Christ. And the sovereign, the meticulous sovereignty of God moving towards the birth of the Lord Jesus. I don't, I, I don't like the word coincidence. I don't believe in them. I believe in the sovereign God at work. So, let me turn with you, if you would, or turn with me, if you would, Romans chapter 4, and here the Apostle Paul speaks to what we have just read, and he lands us at the end of this discourse. Romans chapter 4, verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and to his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. Faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there's no transgression. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope... He, Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No, unbelief, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Guys, you hear that? No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Now, don't miss this, verse 23. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Do you see that Father Abraham has many sons? I'm one of them. And if you're in Christ, so are you. 
That faith that we see in Abraham is the same faith that is in Dan Mason. By the grace of God. God's perfect record. This is where I want to just close. Okay, I'm out of time. Let me land. God's perfect record of faithfulness past and his blessed promise of his return. Now we're, we're past the death, burial, resurrection, ascension and look into his return. His promise of his return fuels our confidence today. One more time. God's perfect record of faithfulness, spotless record of faithfulness, and his blessed promise of his return fuels our confidence today. Let me read this quote from uh, one of my best friends in the world, Mr. Spurgeon. It says, Our hope in Christ for the future is the mainspring and the mainstay of our joy here. It will animate our hearts to think often of heaven, for all that we can desire is promised there. Here we are weary and toil-worn, but yonder is the land of rest where the sweat of labor shall no more bedew the worker's brow, and the fatigue shall be forever banished. To those who are weary and spent, the word rest is full of heaven. We are always in the, ba- in the field of battle. We are so tempted within and so molested by foes without that we have little or no peace. But in heaven we shall enjoy the victory when the banner shall be waved aloft in triumph and the sword shall be sheathed and we shall bear our cap- hear our captain say, Well done, good and faithful servant. We have suffered bereavement after bereavement, but we are going to the land of the immortal." where graves are unknown things. Here sin is a constant grief to us, but there we shall be perfectly holy. For there shall, be, there shall by no means enter into that kingdom anything which defileth. Hemlock springs not up in the furrows of the celestial fields. Oh, is it not joy that you are not to be in banishment forever, that you are not to dwell eternally in this wilderness, but shall soon inherit Canaan? Nevertheless, let it never be said of us that we are dreaming about the future and forgetting the present. Let the future sanctify the present to highest use. Through the Spirit of God, the hope of heaven is the most potent force for the product of virtue. It is a fountain of joyous effort. It is the cornerstone of cheerful holiness. The man who has his hope in him goes about his work with vigor, for the joy of the Lord is his strength. He fights against temptation with ardor, for the hope of the next world repels the fiery darts of the adversary. He can labor without present reward, for he looks for a reward in the world to come. Beloved, the perfect, spotless record of God's faithfulness in the past and the glorious promise of what he's promised in front of us fuels the stability, the obedience, and the life of faith presently. So he's not simply saying, just fill your brain with a bunch of knowledge for knowledge's sake. He's saying, let the truth of that which we know about our God 
embolden us and strengthen us to be powerful, useful instruments in his hands right now. For what we do here matters for eternity. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for PCBC.